Hello and welcome to BTN's Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of BTN.com, and this is going to be a split episode of the Take 10 Podcast where we talk a little football and a little basketball as well. Since it is Super Bowl week, I definitely want to talk some uh, NFL football ahead of the upcoming Super Bowl on Sunday, and I want to tie in the Big Ten as well, obviously, and to do that, I brought in former Illinois safety Tavon Wilson, who not only played in the Super Bowl, but won a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots. He was on the 2014 team that won Super Bowl 49. That was that crazy ending out in Arizona. It was the Patriots and Seahawks where the Seahawks didn't run the ball with Marshawn Lynch, but instead got picked off on their own goal line to end the game uh, when Malcolm Butler made that big interception. So Tavon Wilson was a member of that team. He was a Patriot for four years and has most recently been a member of the Detroit Lions for the last two years and is now a uh, free agent. So Tavon gave me about 20 minutes of his time, so we talked football with him. And then on the back end of the episode, we brought in BTN researcher, in-house stat head, Harold Shelton, to uh, make sure we keep up on all things Big Ten basketball. And Harold did a great job filling us in, as he always does. So got about 20 minutes with Tavon, uh, 10 to 15 minutes with H for this episode, and um, plenty of Super Bowl talk. Tavon definitely wanted to, like I said, with it being Super Bowl week, you know, get get kind of the behind the scenes look at what the media circus is like, what the travel is like, what the emotions are like leading up to during and after Super Bowl, and, and since he did win the Super Bowl, what that kind of euphoria is like afterwards, and, and what those experiences entail in that uh, immediate aftermath of a Super Bowl title. So. Tavon was great. Harold was great, of course. And um, we'll get to those interviews in just a moment. First, just want to remind everyone to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. We're on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Google Play. And if you haven't left a comment or rated or liked the podcast, I would appreciate it if you did that as well. One more reminder, we have a coupon code still running on the btn.com online store. So take advantage of that. You can take 10% off your order on the btn.com online shop with the code take 10 that's t-a-k-e one zero that's all caps take 10 percent off your order all the uh cool gear merchandise that is available on the btn.com online shop all right so with those reminders out of the way let's get to our first interview it's detroit lions safety former illinois defensive back tavon wilson I'm very pleased to be joined by former Illinois safety, six-year NFL vet, Super Bowl 49 champion with the New England Patriots. It's Tavon Wilson. Tavon, man, thanks for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, Tavon, since it's Super Bowl week, I really wanted to get a player on the show who has played in a Super Bowl. You've not only played in one, you've won one with New England. But uh, first things first, how, uh, how's your shoulder? Because you're recovering from shoulder surgery near the end of this last season with the Detroit Lions. So uh, how's that shoulder doing? Um, it's doing really well. It's coming along, uh, coming along great. Um, I'm right where I should be at this point. Um, you know, it's going to be um, a challenging process, but, you know, I think I'm ready for the challenge. So you're a free agent with the, the Lions coming up, right? Yes. So do, do I call you a member of the Lions right now, or what are you, like, officially titled right now? Uh, I mean, I would say that you could call me a member of the Lions. You know, I'm still on the contract there until March. Um, that's where, you know, where I want to continue to play, uh, hopefully if things work out. So, 
Um, I think you can still call me a member of the Lions. All right, will do. Uh, Lions safety, Tavon Wilson. Best wishes in your recovery. You've had a pair of good seasons with the Lions, and uh, before that, you played four seasons with the with the Pats, New England Patriots, which is really the model franchise in all of professional football. Had a very nice career in Illinois. So, what do you think it is about New England and the Patriots and and their ability to kind of identify guys like yourself who might have been under the radar coming out of college and then they turn out to be really solid NFL players? Um, I think they do things their way. I mean, I think, you know, Bill has had success in, you know, the way he does things, and he trusts that formula. So um, he do, he doesn't worry about what everyone else is going to say or, you know, I mean, he don't have anyone to answer to. So um, I think, you know, just him, you know, sticking to his formula and um, getting everyone else to buy in. So what is it about the New England Patriots culture that you noticed immediately that was different from anything you experienced in college and then even – even different than what you experienced in Detroit, because everyone talks about how that New England Patriots culture is just different. Um, I think um, I would say, you know, the accountability part of it, you know, obviously, you know, it starts with the quarterback, you know, um, great player, you know, that holds himself to a high standard. Um, you know, if he holds himself to that high standard, then why can't all of us do that as well? So um, everyone just over there just try to raise their level of play to, uh, to make sure, you know, that they're, uh, holding, that they're accountable for, you know, everything. So it was the kind of deal where you look at the guy on your left, look at the guy on your right, and, you know, everyone kind of has that expectation for themselves to to do their job pretty much? As, as oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, you know, everyone, you know, once you get their bill, uh, he definitely tells you, you know, what's expected of you and, you know, what your role is going to be and that you determine that role. You know, during the course of the season, if that role isn't what you want it to be, um, the people on the team are still counting on you to do whatever role that you're required to do. So um, they take that pretty seriously, and I think every team take it seriously. But uh, for for whatever reason, they have more success than other teams. All right, so that 2014 Super Bowl was your third season in the NFL. And since this is Super Bowl week, everything going on right now early in the week is kind of like the media frenzy with all the hype and the buildup. And uh, so before I ask you even about the game itself, uh, between the Patriots and Seahawks that year. I wanted to ask you about the circus that is, like, Super Bowl week. So what are some of the things you remember about those experiences just leading up to the game that week where uh, you were out in Arizona? Uh, everything was so fast. It was just kind of a blur, really. Um, I was just really trying to focus on the game. You know, Bill did a great job of um, making sure all of us took care of everything before we actually got to Arizona so we didn't have to deal with tickets and family stuff and things like that. But, you know, everywhere you went, it was cameras. Um, it was an exciting week, something that, you know, I, I really enjoyed and um, I'm very grateful that I haven't had the chance to experience. So um, it, it's a fun week, but, you know, the I mean, the players are there for the game. They're not there for, you know, everything else that goes on around the game. Was it harder for you to prep for a game with all that, extracurricular stuff going on? No, nah, I wouldn't say so uh, because I, I, I wouldn't say so because the week before, you know, the, I mean, you know, the Super Bowl has two weeks in between. The week before, we kind of, we already really went through our pregame prep um, of the game prep of everything we wanted to run for that game. So the next week, we we're kind of rehashing everything and, you know, just making sure we were on top of everything. So did anything weird happen that you didn't expect, like at a media day or some event leading up to it? Like, were there any media personalities asking you weird questions or, or was it all pretty standard um it was some weird questions i can't you know remember you know exactly what those questions were but um you see a lot of different people there you know people walking around in costumes and people asking weird questions and the opposing team clearly is interviewing you uh that was one of the weirdest things where they was walking around with the mic and uh, the Seahawks cheerleaders interviewing me so um there's just a lot of different things going on uh, uh something uh 
to be excited to be a part of. So it was out in uh, it was out in Arizona that year. You probably prefer that destination to a place like Minnesota, like this year, oh, right? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. <laughs> I mean, I know I love Minneapolis is a cool place, but you know, in February and January, I don't think it's probably a destination most people want to go. Right. No, definitely not. All right. So, how do uh, I, I would imagine the New England Patriots prep for a Super Bowl a little different than most other teams? Like, were Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and everyone in charge at that point just so used to going to Super Bowls that it wasn't as big a deal, do you think? Like, it was more business as usual? Oh, it's always business as usual there. Um, I think Bill do a great job of, you know, attacking each year as a new year, and um, he doesn't stand on last year. And I think that's the reason why he's so successful, because you won't hear him. You won't hear him really refer to last year or what they've done last year. You know, each, uh, he says each year, you know, every team will have an opportunity to write their story. Last year, that was their story. So this year, they have uh, have an opportunity to write their story. So Tom Brady and, and Bill Belichick, two polarizing figures. You know, they've had so much success, like you said. Is there any side or stories about them that you think people might not know about that you think people would be surprised to hear? Because everyone knows that, like, they handle their business and all that. But is there, like, a lighter side to them or less serious side that people don't see? Uh, most definitely. I think, you know, I think Tom is a great guy. I have had an opportunity to build a relationship with him while he was there. Fun to be around. Great teammate. Um, Bill's the same way. Um, Bill's a great coach, you know, fun to play for. Um, he's demanding. You know, some people can't take that. But um, at the same time, I mean, it's fun at work. It's a fun place to go play. It's a great place to be. I have not, nothing bad to say about New England. Uh, like listening to other New England Patriots stories over the years, like I've heard stories where they'll be there late at night, like getting a workout in, players will be there late at night, and then they'll run into Bill like in his office or there at all hours of the night. Is that something that, that is uh, like a true story? Is, is he just there like nonstop at the facility? Everyone's always there. <laughs> I mean, not just Bill. I would say, you know, I mean, you're definitely going to see him always there around the clock. I mean, it's never a time where you'll be in the building where he won't be. I mean, all the assistant coaches are uh, always in the building. I mean, you got Tom that's always in the building, Julian. Um, I think, you know, that's just the, you know, the, the environment that they created there, the culture that they created. So um, everyone's competitive in that building. And, you know, everyone's competing to be the first guy and the last guy to leave. First guy there and the last guy to leave. All right, so we'll uh, move on to the, the game itself now, Super Bowl 49, uh, Patriots-Seahawks. So were you able to, to, leading up to that game, like I'm talking like hours before, were you able to calm yourself like it was just a normal NFL game? Were there extra nerves that were popping uh, up pregame? Yeah, it's definitely extra nerves. You know, this is uh, the biggest game of, of your life, so obviously you want to go out there and play well. But um, after that first hit and, you know, you get that first play, and it's just football as usual. So you played a bunch of snaps on special teams that game, correct? Mm-hmm. So were you, since you were on special teams, were you, uh, I assume you are always ready to go in on defense at safety if people needed you, but being on special teams, like, I, I have to imagine each play would just go by so quick because it's just, you know, one, one snap essentially and then you're out. So is it hard to kind of get hype for just one snap or were you used to special teams by then that it was just kind of natural? I mean, I think, you know, I mean, it goes back to the whole accountability part. You know, I mean, when you see a guy like Tom, you know, getting in there, doing everything he can to win, you I mean, you just want to do your part. So whether, you know, you're going for one play or 20 plays, you're expected to do your job. So um, I just try to take that approach while I was there, uh, you know, make sure I do my part and and not do anything to cost the team the game. All right, so how about with all the uh, hoopla, I guess, surrounding the Super Bowl? Like, there's an extended halftime show, like everything – the anthem is longer pregame, like especially at the halftime show. Like, is it hard to essentially sit for an hour in the middle of a game and, and then get back out there for the second half? 
Well, when I was in New England, we practiced for it. So uh, we was prepared for that, and that wasn't a surprise to us or something different because we practiced that the week of the Super Bowl. So what memories from that game are most vivid for you personally? Like, Are there anything that, anything that stands out from those uh, 60 minutes during the game that uh, are most vivid? Yeah, the last play. <laughs> that was gonna be that was gonna be my last my my next question is uh can you believe it they didn't run it with Marshawn down there on the on the goal line? Um, I think, you know, as a I mean, as an NFL player you get I mean, you get a good feel for that coordinators, you know, do what they feel is best in that situation. It might not be the ideal call, it might not be the best call, but they do what they feel like they need to do based off of, you know, tendencies and you know, it's a lot more that goes into calling plays than just calling the play, you know what I mean? Right. I mean, it, it goes off the defensive tendencies. I mean, we could have been a, a blitz team on that down or whatever. People don't know. But um, I don't I mean, I don't really have a problem with the call. I mean, I think it's a great call because it, it ended <laughs> in my favor. So, right. Uh, but So if you, um, if you were that OC, would you have, uh, would you give it to Marshawn, give it to Beast Mode? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, like as a player, you say, well, why not give it to him? But as a coach in that situation, you never know what you're going to do. So as a player, I just try to support my coaches in any way I can. And uh, whatever call they make, I'm going to do my, do my job. All right. I'm never going to complain about that. Yeah, so uh, Malcolm Butler made the pick, obviously. New England held on for a 28-24 victory. So take me through the first, like, hour after winning the Super Bowl. Like, wh- what's going on? What do you? Where do you go? Do you go right to the locker room? Are you out in the field for a while celebrating with your teammates. What's that first hour like? Man, we were just on the field celebrating for a long time. Obviously, it's a long journey to get to that, you know, to get to that point in the season. And we were just so excited that we were able to finish on top. You know what I mean? Like, that's right. what we work for. I mean, that's when, you know, you start practice out in April and May. I mean, that's what you set out to do. You don't say it, but that's what every team in the NFL wants to do. No one, t- no team start out in April or May and say, hey, we're going to go to the playoffs this year. You know, everyone wants to win a Super Bowl, and we did that in that moment. So, I mean, you want to share that with your brothers and um, everyone in the organization that works so hard and um, because it's a lot of people that put a lot into it. So um, the first hour was really crazy. It's emotional. Um, it's, it's, a, it's something I'll never forget. So what's the procedure after that? Then, like, you get interviews in the locker room. Then is it straight back? You fly back across the country to, to New England? Or, or how does that work? What are the next few hours like? Well, I mean, after, uh, after the Super Bowl, the team has a, a big post-game party for the whole team. So everyone's there having a great time. The next day, we flew back to New England. Um yeah, we flew back to New England. The day after that was the parade. So it's kind of like the whole week is kind of full of things of, you know, the parade or, you know, the, the pregame, uh, the postgame after party. Like all those things were, were definitely um, exciting to be a part of. So what's more crazy, that that immediate postgame after party or the plane ride back? Like is everyone sleeping on the plane ride back because that party was crazy or is it just a one nonstop party pretty much? Oh, no, it's pretty much one stop nonstop party. <laughs> like <laughs> from the time you win a game until – Probably the next day or the next – well, because we stayed – I think – did we stay there a day? No, we left the next morning. Yes, we left the next morning. So probably the, after the game, probably for another day or so, it's going to be like one big party. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's exciting time. Um, we had a great time on the plane ride back. Fortunately, it was a long plane ride, so we got extra time to each other with each other. So. All right, I was going to say, that's like a six-hour six hour flight, plenty of time to uh, to turn up, I guess. Um, yeah. So – 
when you uh, when you get back for that parade, I gotta imagine like this whole week is like the best feeling ever. When you get back to New England, what what was the best part for you? Like the was it the parade? Was it the media obligations afterwards? Was it just hanging it out with friends par- and family or what? Um, it was the parade. I mean, obviously, you know, the fans come out there and support you as much as they can every week, you know, screaming and yelling, doing everything everything they can to contribute. So being out there in the parade and getting an opportunity to, you know, to celebrate with your fans and see the turnout. I mean, people hanging out of windows at their job offices just to, you know, just to see us experience our championship. So um, it was definitely a great experience. Um, it was awesome, man. I, I, that's something I would definitely want to relive. Right, so you know, obviously everyone, every NFL player is trying to get back to that spot, like you are. So what's what's it like now as an NFL player who's not in the Super Bowl? Like, are you gonna watch the Super Bowl this weekend? How do you how do you approach that? Oh, for sure. I mean, I have a lot of you know a lot of friends, and you know, I consider those guys family in New England. Um, those are some of the years where I basically became a man. I'm very grateful that you know the uh, great organization had an opportunity to draft me. Um, I, I definitely, I want the Patriots to win. Those are my friends. You know, that's just, um, you know, always rooting for those guys. So, um, yeah, I'll watch it. I mean, me and my family will watch it. It's definitely, you know, as a competitor, you definitely want to be in the game yourself. But um, if I'm not in the game, I definitely want my friends to win. Do you think most NFL players watch? Or have you heard of guys that are, like, you know, so – into you know their own career and so obsessed with like winning that they can't even watch because it's just too painful to to watch other dudes play. Uh, I don't think Tom will watch it if he was. <laughs> <laughs> he's that competitive. Yeah, he's that competitive. So that makes sense then why he uh, why he's always making the Super Bowl just because he doesn't want to miss it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, like he's he's the ultimate competitor. Great guy to be around. I mean, he he he's he's really all of what he's what everybody talk him up to be. All right, so when you were injured. Uh, for the last couple games of this year, I know it was only a few games, but when you're not on the field, obviously, do you do you just chill on the couch like Peyton Manning in those like in those commercials and watch all the NFL games those weekends, or do you do you just have time to yourself to watch football, or are you busy rehabbing, or, or what's that time like when you're on the sidelines? I'm um, definitely watching football. Um, I definitely try to stay in as much as I can. Um, once I got hurt, you know, I came home and to North Carolina to spend some time with my family. But, you know, I was very active in supporting those guys and, you know, whatever questions they needed or, you know, I was watching film during the week. I was very active in it and everything because I think, you know, this is a short window you get an opportunity to play. So um, even when, you know, you're hurt or you're out for a little bit, you know, you got to still, you know, give give the game all you have and give your teammates all you have. So I just try to be a great teammate while I was away and, um, Definitely, as a competitor, you want to be out there. I mean, I'm not saying that I was okay with being on the couch or no, and okay with you know just helping out, being a helping hand, and not being able to play. But I, mean, I kind of accepted, you know, my reality, you know, and that's what it was at that point. And I mean, I'm ex- I'm really excited for next season. All right. So before we wrap up, since this is a uh, Big Ten Big Ten Network podcast, I got to ask you about your time at Illinois. Um, first of all, what led you to Illinois? Because you're from uh, the D.C. area. What, I know Illinois got a lot of recruits from D.C. in the Ron Zook era, so what led you to uh, the University of Illinois? Um, mainly Coach Zook and Coach Loxley. You know, Coach Loxley was from D.C., so um, a lot of people, you know, we knew a lot of the, uh, the same people, and you know, I spent a lot of time with him in the recruiting process, you know, and Coach Zook. Um, obviously, all the D.C. guys going there was definitely something that made me more comfortable, so that was the, the D.C. guys there pretty much sealed the deal. Yeah, so you have any uh, – memories or stories from Illinois that you want to share, like anything that stood out during your 
four years on campus? Because he had a great career there, so I imagine you had some uh, pretty entertaining stories. Um, and everything was great. I mean, I was I was a, a student that you know um, that spent a lot of time on campus and you know did a lot of stuff with the student body. You know, I used to really enjoy. You know, uh, I think we used to meet with uh, Block Eye on like Thursdays or Fridays. Uh, um, you know, as captain, so that's something that I really enjoy. You know, winning games. Um, everything on that campus I love, and uh, I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity to come there. Have you been back recently, or has it been a while? It's been a while. Since I've been in Detroit, I have not been back. All right, you got to get back for a game or something, maybe on a bye week. I know, I know. This week I was uh, dealing with my shoulder all year, and last year I was just trying to keep my head above water in Detroit. So um, maybe, maybe this year. I got you. All right, uh, one last question. What, do you, what would you say about Illinois prepared you – for the NFL, because during your pretty much era at Illinois and before and a little bit after, Illinois put a lot of players in the NFL, and there's still a lot of uh, alums that are currently playing. So what was it that helped prepare you for the next level? Um, we had a lot of talented players in practice. You know what I mean? Going up guys like Aurelius Ben, Jeff Cumberland, uh, Michael O'O, Minamanui, you know, all those guys are NFL players. And, you know, I'm coming in as a freshman getting an opportunity, you know, to play against these guys that are supposed to be high draft picks in the next year or two. So, um, and I was playing as a freshman. I mean, they didn't, you know, I didn't have an opportunity to register. They kind of threw me right in the fire with those guys, and they, it definitely helped me a lot along the way. I mean, definitely Coach Zook having um, – Coaching in the NFL and having some uh, experience coaching defensive backs definitely helped me because I spent a lot of time with Coach Zook. Um, we just had a lot of good players, man. Unfortunately, it was it's very unfortunate that we had win many more games, but we had a, lot, a ton of good players on our football team while I was there. I'm impressed you were able to pronounce Michael Omanawanui's name. That's, that's, <laughs> that's always the one that ties me up. Right. All right, Tavon, uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, really wanted to get someone that had participated in the Super Bowl and you, you gave some valuable insight and uh, hopefully we can uh, talk to you again soon. Good luck. Good luck with your rehab. Good luck with your NFL future. Congrats on all your success so far. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. All right. Tavon Wilson, thank you. All right. Thanks to Tavon for joining me. We'll shift it over now to in-house BTN researcher Harold Shelton who sat down with me in the studio to break down the Big Ten in uh, in a way Harold always does that involves some stats, involves some clear-eyed analysis, and it's always a fun time with him. So we'll kick it over right now to my discussion with BTN researcher Harold Shelton. All right, as always, pleased to be joined in studio by uh, in-house stat head, BTN researcher Harold Shelton. Harold it's February. We're chugging along here, kind of getting into the home stretch. How you holding up? Doing all right. You know, and this is when it starts getting really interesting. We can actually start talking NCAA tournament stuff, seeding, you know, the road to Madison Square Garden, all that good stuff. Yeah, picture's kind of clearing up a little bit. Um, it's kind of evolved into a three-team race out top, out front, in the Big Ten title race with Purdue in the driver's seat, obviously, Ohio State behind them, and Michigan State sitting behind them with, with two losses. So, we got a big game coming up. I know we asked last week which team was more likely to lose, Ohio State and Purdue, and it ended up being Ohio State lost in that thriller to Penn State. So it will not be an undefeated matchup on February 7th between Purdue and Ohio State, but it'll still be a uh, colossal game that could determine the Big Ten title race. So we know that game has huge implications. How about Michigan State 
sitting there with two losses. How do they get back into to this race and get into the conversation of a potential Big Ten champ? Well, I definitely think it starts with beating Purdue. Um, that would help to give Purdue one loss, and then they'd have to lose another game. The problem is Purdue doesn't really have a whole lot left on the schedule after the Ohio State Michigan State back to back in early February. So it's a chance Purdue could really end the race by February 10th if they were to win both of those games. But for Michigan State to to win it, they still need Ohio State to lose once more. They probably need Ohio State to beat Purdue though. And so if Ohio State was to lose one more, the best chance is at Penn State and at Michigan outside of the West Lafayette game. Yeah, and Purdue, I, I think everyone's kind of on board now with them. Like you see the national pundits are starting to recognize them no one's really doubting them anymore as a national contender final four contender but i think they could really make a statement it's been it's been kind of been a series of statements this year for purdue but i think they could really make a final statement with that week you mentioned you know lock up the big 10 title race probably lock up a number one overall or not overall seed but number one seed in the uh, ncaa tournament by taking out ohio state michigan state within three days time so that'd be huge for them to i mean it's a big week across the big 10 but purdue's really got a shot to like you said, put the clamps down. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, we'll know February 10th at, you know, probably what, 6 o'clock. I believe it might be a 4 o'clock tip in East Lansing. So we can know by 6, 6.30 Eastern if that race is on or if it's over. All right, so we got the top four teams in the Big Ten. Those top uh, three we mentioned joined by Michigan looking solid for an NCAA tournament bid. we got a couple of teams coming on strong behind them, especially Nebraska because Nebraska's 8-4 and four in the Big Ten. They, I think, have outperformed most people's expectations. And then recently, starting with that Ohio State upset, getting Josh Reeves back, Penn State Nittany Lions are coming on pretty strong as well. Now, we're recording this tonight, uh, Wednesday before they take on Michigan State, so a lot could change by the time this episode comes out. But regardless, Penn State has kind of declared themselves a player, at least for an NCAA tournament bid. And it's interesting because Penn State and Nebraska play – in the final game of the regular season. So could that one shape up maybe as a, a play-in game, de facto play-in game for the NCAA tournament? Uh, potentially, but I'd say Penn State's got a whole lot of work to do before that. I mean, Nebraska's schedule <clears throat> is probably the easiest left of any Big Ten team, and Penn State's got a complete gauntlet, which could be good or bad. You know, Penn State, they've had some bad losses. You know, the home lost to Ryder. Uh, they let the Wisconsin game at home get away. Uh, they lost at Northwestern. And so those are games that they needed to have to make a real case because their RPI is still over 100 right now. But considering they play at Michigan State, they host Ohio State, they're at Purdue, uh, they host Maryland, they host Michigan, they're at Nebraska. So, I mean, it's a really tough schedule, but there's a chance if they can pull off some upsets, that profile will improve very quickly. Nebraska just doesn't have that. They just have to keep piling up wins. Yeah, Nebraska – doesn't play a team better than I think like ranked 40th on Ken Palm. I think Maryland's their toughest remaining opponent, and then in Penn State, like we mentioned, that last regular season game. So, you know, there's two sides to this. You, you could look at it from Penn State's point of view and say, "Hey, all the opportunities are in front of us to make some noise, but it's going to be tough. We're going to have to bring our A game." And then there's Nebraska, where it's like, "Hey, take care of business," and 20 wins is going to be hard to, to leave out of the NCAA tournament. So, who whose position would you rather be in at this point? Would you like the uphill climb of Penn State or Nebraska just kind of having to not go through the motions, but like I said, take care of business and 
hope that it's enough to get in. Uh, I would take Nebraska's as of right now. I mean, their profile is a lot better than Penn State's. Uh, no, Nebraska, I think it's 57 in RPI. Penn State's like 108. So, I mean, just to have that head start in general is huge. They don't have any bad losses. They've got no losses outside of the uh, top two quadrants. You'll hear a lot more about quadrants. And our guy, Andy Katz, is in one room over. He loves the quadrants, man. <laughs> yeah, so you'll be hearing a lot more about that. Nebraska didn't have any of those losses. Penn State certainly does. So, I would say Nebraska. And if, But I, the problem is, Penn State could afford a loss here and there in a tough game. Nebraska really can't afford to lose any of those games because they might be looked at as bad losses on their profile. So why do you think – I mean, it's only been a couple games that they started to get their act together. But why do you think Penn State's improved? Is it just because they got Josh Rees back from that uh, academic leave that he took? Or, or is it a bigger kind of cohesion that we're seeing as a team from them? I definitely think it's, it's directly tied to Josh Reeves. I mean, they were 1-3 and three without him. He just provides – energy that they didn't have the intangibles you could clearly see when he took the floor against Ohio State like pregame how his teammates mobbed him like you could tell he's a well-liked player Uh, and on the court he's just a defensive menace he's a pest you know he still one of the league leaders in steals I mean he's a guy that doesn't need the ball to be impactful unlike a Tony Carr or Lamar Stevens he can make he could put his imprint on the game without having to score, and Penn State did not have a guy like that. Yeah, I've, I've said all season that I think Penn State's roster is one of the most talented in the conference, but Agreed. when you lose a guy like Reeves, they don't have a lot of depth to begin with, right. and I think that really you know crushed their depth, like you said. And then with him back, defensive intensity has picked up. Uh, I want to harp a little bit more on Nebraska before we move on. It seems like they're figuring out how to win games that – you know, they might have got down in or there might be some adversity. The Wisconsin game recently speaks to that. And it's kind of one of those intangible things, but especially for a team with a lot of newcomers and and transfers, it seems like that's kind of the next step to becoming a winning team. And you got to give them a lot of credit for figuring that out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw when they played Penn State, they were down big. They had a chance. They came all the way back, but couldn't pull out the win. And similar to Wisconsin, they're down 11 after that huge Khalil Iverson dunk. And you think, like, oh, well, that's a missed opportunity. And they completely take over the game after that, close it out, get the stops that they need. They found a go-to guy in James Palmer Jr., but still getting contributions from Watson and Copeland. So they're starting to figure out how to win. They found a go-to guy. They seem to have found a lineup that could play defense late in games and could switch everything, as we saw against Michigan. So... They, they could be a dangerous team. All right, so the uh, two teams I want to talk about before we wrap up here are teams that are on the outside looking into the, uh, looking into the NCAA tournament picture. They're Iowa and Illinois, and we'll start with Iowa because Iowa was a team I think that there's no doubt people expected to be better this year than they have been. We saw Fran McCaffrey get his 400th career win Tuesday night against Minnesota, and – the problem with Iowa really has been defense. They just have had trouble stopping anybody this year. And they lost some real offensive punch with Peter Jock, but their defense is what's dropped off. They dropped over 100 defensive efficiency spots in, in Ken Palm. And like I mentioned, they just haven't really been able to stop anybody this year. So you being a researcher, you've seen the numbers, you, uh, you have a better sense and feel this, I'm sure, than I do. Why has Iowa not been able to – 
match the defensive output of, of recent years? Uh, I mean, we know about the Peter Jaguars, but I think people didn't really understand how what his length was like on the wing, and I certainly think that you know that was an overlooked part of his game. We know that he could score. We know he's a twenty-point guy, but I mean, they're pretty small in the backcourt, you know, without him. So I think that certainly was a big part of it, and I think it just kind of took a while for Iowa to gel and find a lineup. Like, we know Tyler Cook is really good, but other than that, I mean, who's their rim protector? Right. I mean, they don't really have one. Who's the guy that can stop uh, an opposing guard from getting into the lane? They don't really have that. And you mentioned the length on the perimeter. Losing Christian Williams, I think, hurt uh, to transfer, and that was unexpected, so they didn't really have a backup plan for that. McCaffrey's another guy who has been – out of the lineup and they expected to have some production there so yeah I mean I think those are certainly plausible explanations for why it's fallen off now I mean they're a team that I think everyone's kind of said okay the offense is there if they can figure out a makeshift or or uh you know kind of stitch together defense for a week then maybe they can win some games in New York and and spoil some teams but it's just a team that I watch and I wonder you know, how are they going to get put this together? Because it's a young team. I mean, a lot of the guys going to be back next year. Do you think they can get it figured out in an offseason? Uh, no, that's that's the magic question. I mean, you're supposed to have another good recruiting class coming in. Uh, you hope Jordan Bohannon can, you know, take another step. They didn't really get much – they haven't really gotten much out of Cordell Pimsel this year. We, we saw flashes a year ago. Nick Bear, and, too. You're right, Nick Bear. You know, yeah. he's solid. But they just, for whatever reason, the, the loss of Jock – offensively and defensively has really hurt this team more than anybody would have imagined. All right, so we'll shift it over to Illinois now, and we'll stick on the topic of defense because watching all these Illinois games and and watching BTN as much as I do and FS1 as well because the the talking point is always how Illinois' defense is so disruptive compared to pretty much any other Big Ten team. And that's not just like announcers saying it. That's – opposing coaches and opposing players so it's a real thing it's not just a talking point and it, it bears itself out in the stats Illinois is actually third in the country in uh forcing turnovers so they force a ton of turnovers but what I've noticed with Illinois is that they'll get out and hound other teams make them uncomfortable for a half and then that energy that re- is required to play that brand of defense kind of wears off and they're not able to sustain that for full 40 minutes so while they're disruptive and they're they're good at forcing turnovers um i just wonder is this a sustainable brand of defense in the big 10 like is there a reason why teams don't play the way illinois has and and that's why everyone's so kind of caught off guard when they see this different brand of defense can brad underwood sustain this going forward Uh, i think it's possible but they have to be a lot deeper i mean we've seen illinois teams in the first half you know, really get after guys, and they just they extend and overplay so much that it's just really hard to do that for 40 minutes. And so, the Trent Frazier's of the world, uh, Kipper Nichols, you know, guys like uh, T. John Lucas, guys like that who play a lot of minutes, like they just get worn down over time. And when you play that way, you foul more, and so you get a lot of yeah. guys that are in foul trouble. And then that aggressiveness has to wear off in the second half because you need those guys on the court. And, it's, you know, 
it's not a surprise that in a lot of their losses, the second half has looked completely different yeah. than the first half. And that foul trouble, I think, is compounded by the fact they don't have a rim protector. Exactly. So they get in foul trouble both at the rim and out in the perimeter when they're trying to overplay on guys. So yep. we've seen it play out where three to four guys have four fouls, and it's tough to sustain. But I agree with you. I think that once Underwood gets a rotation of 9, 10 deep that he can go to, it's much more likely to sustain this defensive intensity over – 40-minute game. Um, I'm going to wrap up with a subjective question for you. Um, one team or maybe two teams that are just better than their overall record, you think? And, and I bring that up because we saw Illinois put a smackdown on Rutgers last night. They won by 30. They're 2-8 and eight in the Big Ten. There's been three or four games that I think could have gone the other way, and they could easily be sitting at 500 in the conference right now. So that would be one team I think is better than their overall Big Ten record. Do you agree, and do you have any other teams that are – you know, maybe a little better than than what they uh, they shown in the standings. Yeah, I definitely think Illinois is one of those teams. I mean, we saw they had a huge lead against Iowa, lost it. Um, the Maryland game went to overtime. You know, they lose on a buzzer beater under Murray. All they did there was inbound the ball. That game was over. And they inbounded their win. So. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, so I definitely agree with you there. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Illinois went on a little run. It seems like they found some confidence. They just had to get that one win, and now that they've got it, they might snowball into a few more. I definitely think Penn State is another one. I mean, if you look at their starting five, it's definitely top half of the league. It might be top five in the league. Yeah. And, I mean, Tony Carr, Lamar Stevens, Mike Watkins could all be all Big Ten players. Josh Reeves, as we've said, we've seen how important he is to them. Um, I mean, it's no surprise. Even though their RPI is, you know, over 100, they're 56, I think, in Kempom. Mm-hmm. So people could see – how good they can be if they put it all together. The problem is they've had issues closing games, and that's why their record is what it is. All right, we'll see if they can put it together. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, they got a big chance tonight against Michigan State. That's an opportunity for them to climb in that RPI and climb in the uh, onto the tournament bubble, and um, we'll, we'll keep following conference throughout February. Only a few more weeks, H. We're almost there. Yeah, it's crazy that we're about four weeks away from NYC. All right, we'll uh, get you back here next week. And uh, everyone just keep it locked here for more breakdowns of the uh, Big Ten Buckets season. Thanks again. No problem. All right, thanks again to Tavon, and thanks as always to H for joining me. This is a fun episode. I always like to kind of diversify it a little bit. The Super Bowl coming up. Um, Wanted to stay topical. And, you know, it was fun talking to Tavon about the Patriots because I'm one of those guys who's kind of a Patriots hater. You know, I'm sick of seeing them in the Super Bowl every year, but I also have a ton of respect for the Patriots just because they're that model organization, and you can see why. I mean, every every interview with the Patriots player you hear about, it, it always is clear why they're so successful. And Tavon kind of reinforced that with his answers. Everyone's accountable. Everyone has a ton of respect for the, the people in charge, and you know, it's just. It's crazy watching this greatness unfold year after year. So I'll probably be rooting against them just because I'm, I'm a hater like that. But uh, always have respect for what is going on in New England and, and what they've built there. So it's cool to have Tavon on. Great as always to have H on. And uh, we'll see you on the other side of the Super Bowl. And who knows, maybe we'll try and get a uh, Super Bowl winner from one of those teams on the show next. It's a long shot, but... You never know because there are uh, some Big Ten players on both sides and um, it'll be fun to see how they perform this upcoming Sunday. So thanks, as always, to everyone out there for listening. 
Thanks as always, of course, to Wes White for producing. And we'll talk to you next week on the Take 10 Podcast.